the optimal life. What's going on, Barry? How are you today? Thanks, nice. Nice to be here. Yeah, so you are located in Bali, Indonesia. Is that correct? Yes, mate, correct. Man, how did you end up in Bali, of all places, on this God's green earth? Um, man, January or December 2019, January 2020, I don't know. I had a, I had a feeling that I needed to get out of Australia. Um, had no idea why because I'd been traveling quite consistently for years beforehand and I was really just looking to to try to settle in and, feel, and, and find a home. But I don't know, like Australia just didn't feel like it was home. So I thought I'll come to Bali, connect with a friend, then maybe do a trip around the world and um, flew over to Bali within a week of being here. I was like, no, this is, this is where I need to be. This feels like home. And then it was about two months later, um, COVID hit, and uh, I've been here ever since, very happily so. Yeah, well, especially leaving Australia. Wow, yeah. it sounds like you got out of there at the right time. What's your What's your thoughts? Obviously, you came from Australia. You spent a significant portion of your life there, seeing how they've handled the COVID situation. What, what's your take on the whole thing? Uh, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the way that they've handled things. Like, I believe that all governments believe they made the best decisions, but you look at how they've handled it to other parts of the world, and I don't think there's been a lot of advantages to it. You know, like Indonesia, we've had two lockdowns over the last couple of years, and the lockdown still allowed you to leave your house, still allowed you to go to the gym, still allowed you to live a life. And, you know, I don't know, I don't think that we're any any worse off than uh, what Australia is for the way that they handled things. Yeah, so Indonesia has been fairly uh, free, I, for lack of a better word. It's been free. Everything seems to have remained open there. And how do you des- how do you describe everyday life in uh, in Bali? I mean, looking at it from here in the United States, I've looked at places like Phuket, and I see these beautiful spots and these excluded, exquisite getaways, and and it looks it looks like paradise. But of course, yeah. that's what you see online. I mean, what is Bali like? What is Indonesia like overall as a country? Uh, what's what's? How would you define the culture there? Uh, look, I we absolutely love living here. I've got my partner here. I've got my my two kids here as well, and we love living here. You know, the people are amazing, very friendly, very nice to talk to. It's a very I don't know like there's a lot of community here I found it very easy to build a community here and build a lot of really amazing friendships the the food's awesome the weather's good the surf's amazing um you know I, I do feel living somewhere like this though you do need to leave every now and again to just I don't know like create that um realization understanding of how good you've got it I think sometimes when you live at a place like this for a long period of time you can get a little bit complacent and so I do feel it's good to to sort of leave and come back. But yeah, we love living here, man. Oh, that's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. And I assume it's been part of your spiritual journey. It seems to a place like that, it allows you to really accelerate that and probably connect on a deeper level, deeper level spiritually. Um, and we'll get to how you you ultimately have have gotten there. So. Uh, one of the things I notice about you is, of course, you've been involved in a lot of different businesses. You've had your ups, your downs, your lefts, your rights, and you've continued to move forward. Um, and I, one of the things that I see is you talk about the the inner self or the inner voice. Um, explain that to us a little bit. Why do you? What is it about our inner self that we need to 
make sure that that's first and foremost a, a healthy inner self in order for us to ever really truly achieve success? Yeah, I guess the first thing to, to put into context is that, you know, we all have these voices inside of our head and for many of us, it's multiple voices. To me, I wouldn't relate to that as being uh, in a guidance, I'd say more so than in a self. You know, the, the other part I believe is what I'd say is like our spiritual heart, our intuition, our connection to divinity, to, to source, to whatever your religious beliefs are. And I think it's really important to understand the difference between the two because we all have that inner voice, that inner critic that will give us nudges or guidance, but often it comes in the form of like an annoying or nagging voice or um, something that kind of yells or screams to get attention because in many ways it's part of the inner child. However, the, the inner guidance or the intuition is more so a whisper, right? It's more of a gentle voice that the more that you choose to connect in and listen to that part, the stronger your relationship becomes with it. And I guess the difference is, is that we all have both our intuition and we all have those inner critics yet i don't know about you nate but you know i wasn't brought up and, and many people were not brought up uh being attuned to the intuition or being taught how to harbor how to cultivate how to build a deeper relationship with that intuition you know for many of us we're taught from a very young age to listen to our brain to develop our decision making and to develop our intellect which is great Yet the thing that I find with that is that when we're developing the intellect, you know, and when we're having to refer to that to make decisions, we're in many cases referring to past experiences. And so if we've had a lot of, uh, you know, traumatic or challenging experiences around a particular era of life, let's just say it's dating, you know, we're gonna enter a new relationship uh, jaded from those past experiences. Right, and more often than not, continue to attract the same type of relationships as we've already had. Because if you do what you've always done, you get what you've always got. Whereas when we start to develop a relationship with our intu intuition and to divinity and to that, that higher frequency, uh, it allows us to be guided to situations or to making decisions that maybe don't look like what we've done in the past, but are more aligned with us experiencing deeper fulfillment, greater purpose, and in, in many ways, a, a higher quality of life. The intuition is the is really the soul talking to us. Do you agree with that? The, you, when your soul is screaming and talking to you, uh, that's, that's different than the brain. Yeah, I, I would refer to, and this is just, you know, a lot of different practices have a different definition, but I'd say it's spirit as opposed to soul. Some people, refer to it as soul some people refer to it as spirit i'd say it's spirit yes absolutely there's that connection that we have to any inner guidance that is wanting us to live our best life yet it's us trying to follow our own wants and our own needs and our own desires that often put us in these challenging conversations to teach us that we need to rely on something other than our own ego to make those decisions we're very complex people. Uh, the human being is a complex thing because so often, Barry, the answers, as you point out, are right there in front of us. Mm. We may have to dig into it and lean into it. And again, maybe we're not given the tools, the proper tools growing up to really realize, hey, man, the answers are right in front of me. But if you mm. dig in 
and you go into that soul or that spirit, whatever you want to call it, and you go into that intuitive place and, and, and really just sit and be, boy, I think the gut really leads us 10 out of 10 times if we want to see it. Yeah, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think, you know, like when you look at young children that are, are too young to have yet developed their intellect, it's like they have this sense of knowing about them. They have the sense of knowing of right and wrong, you know, good or bad. And in many times they still experiment and test things out because they're, they're feeling their way through life. Yet, you know, we've all had experiences, I'm sure, in our life Nate, where we've had major decisions to make and we've had that gut instinct, we've had that, you know, that whisper of what to do, yet logically it hasn't made any sense based on our past experience. And so we've followed logic and things have just turned to shit. And I'm sure that we've all had we've all had the same situations where for whatever reason we decided just once just to try that intuition, just to try following that gut feeling. And although it didn't make sense, things worked out better than we could have ever expected. Have so, you had experience that before? Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, so piggybacking off of that, going back to when you were pretty young, maybe even into your late teenage years, uh, you started having some early success and you were grinding and grinding and grinding, you were finding success, but you were also, you had no real work-life balance. It was all work and you were unhappy. And I think yeah. what you did, correct me if I'm wrong, you followed that inner gut, that tuition, the the intuition, the, the spirit, and decided to make a change. Is that correct? Yeah, it was, it was a very long process. And I wouldn't necessarily say I experienced a lot of success when I was younger. I was definitely grinding. I was definitely putting a lot of the hours in and working my, my backside off, but I wasn't necessarily experiencing a lot of success. Everything felt very hard and very challenging. I experienced a lot of different challenges and experiences in life that um, I guess kind of beat me down in many ways. Uh, but I found a practice that allowed me to start connecting with that intuition and start to, to grow that relationship. And that was when things dramatically changed, not just uh, at the level of fulfillment, but in the level of me starting to be more aligned with relationships, with interactions, with job opportunities, career moves that really felt right and felt fulfilling for me. How old were you at that point? Um, I was around 17, 18 when I started that work, but it was probably a few years before I really started to notice um, a significant shift where I could look back and go, oh my God, like I've changed a lot in the last few years. So what was occurring between 18 and 21 that was allowing you to start really digging into that spiritual side? Um, I guess at 18, I, I, I had an accident at work and uh, it put me in a, a state where I couldn't really walk. And I went to see a whole bunch of specialists and the information that I had is that I'd never be able to, to work again. I'd never be able to lift heavy items again. And I remember being at a friend's house and his dad was a little bit left field. You, you could have called him a hippie or a bit spiritual. And he said to me, he's like, do you know that we have these significant incidences when we're not listening to spirit? He's like, we attract these challenges, we attract these big circumstances because we haven't been listening to the whispers. And I guess that was the first exposure that I had. And he's like, you know, 
you've been given insider information you haven't been listing. And I really stopped and pondered on that. And I realized, you know what, he's right. There were so many things that I could look at in my life that I was doing or people that I was hanging out with or situations that were happening that I'd been given this inner guidance to, to go a different direction, hadn't listened because it didn't make sense. And I was like, when he said this, it was like, I almost felt this awakening or felt this uh, connection inside that was in agreement to, to what he was saying. And I was like, shit, okay. And I guess over the next few years, I started to, to slowly experiment with, you know, what would happen if, what would happen if I started listening to this whisper? What would happen if I started to go down this path? And it was interesting, Nate, because I started to listen to that and I wouldn't say that immediately my life turned around, you know, in actual fact, it almost seemed like the opposite. Things seemed to break further. Things seemed to further fall apart. And it wasn't until I guess that 2021 that I realized that what had been breaking and falling apart were all of these constraints and constructions that I'd built around my conscious knowledge that weren't actually serving me. So although I started to follow my heart, things didn't seem to turn around straight away. What was actually happening was things were falling away that were no longer serving me. And it was only then that I could truly start to access that inspiration, that joy, that fulfillment, that greater success in life. Well, listen, Barry, I got to tell you, at 21 years old, I was doing 21 shots. <laughs> so, so I think you were a step ahead of me, uh, at least spiritually and emotionally to even be cognizant of those things and to start becoming aware but do you remember then after he told you that that the, the insider information you were ignoring after he made those comments after that epiphany type moment how did you start recognizing the little whispers and do you remember a specific example um Man, to be honest, I actually started having, it was crazy. I started having all of these really out-of-body experiences that really awoken me and allowed me to no longer deny that there was something else other than, than what I've been brought up to believe. You know, I guess in many ways I kind of brought up thinking, okay, so like you get a job, you earn money, you, you meet a woman, you buy a house, white picket fence, you have kids, and that's kind of the, the purpose of life. And in, in many ways, I, I wouldn't say that I was atheist, but I didn't necessarily have a lot of belief of anything outside of myself that, or anything outside of what I could see or touch. And after that conversation and through further interactions with my friends, at that point in time too, like I was experimenting with uh, different drugs at the point in time, I started to have all these crazy kind of out-of-body experiences where I was like, shit, like I can't deny that there's something wanting to come through me or something wanting to teach me right now. And that was when one day I got led to a, to a you know, old age spiritual shop in town. You know, that those shops that you, you walk in, they reek of incense, they have tie-dye, uh, tie-dye clothes everywhere. And I kind of got led there one day and not knowing why or how ended up buying these uh, oracle cards and that was kind of the start of me building a relationship with with i guess the scene with the unseen mm. when you say out of body experience elaborate on that a little bit what exactly was happening <laughs> oh man I, I would have experiences where i'd be in a room with a bunch of other people and I would, when it first started, I'd black out. I'd black out and I would come back to the room and 
there'd be people all leaning in around me. There'd be people crying. There'd be people going like, how the hell did you know that stuff? And I would just have no memory. I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, well, you just, just walked me through an experience that happened to me when I was, when I was a child and helped me to find resolution in that. And I was like, what are you talking about? They're like, you don't remember? I was like, nah. And this kind of went on and I started to become conscious of those experiences, conscious of those messages coming through. And I guess looking back, there was something being channeled through me in those experiences. And so that led to where, you know, I'd be walking down the street and I would look at somebody and I would just feel all this emotion and get this, these images and these memories of that person and their childhood growing up. And it was, you know, to be honest at the time, I thought it was a bit of a curse. I thought I was going crazy, but the more and more this stuff started happening, the more and more I was affirmed that, I wasn't crazy, but there was some form of healing that was coming through me for others. And it was a gift. But for for the first few years, it was, I thought it was a curse because I didn't know what was my emotion and what was somebody else's and what was my memory and what was someone else's memory. Mm-hmm. And I guess over time, I, I was guided more and more and more to create that separation between what was mine and what was somebody else's. And, it, and eventually it came back to me being able to be t- tap into my heart, to my intuition, to this divine guidance. So, so let me see if I understand this. You'd be in a room with people, and you were on some type of some type of hallucination, some type of drug. No, 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 not not at those times. I was completely sober, completely straight. You were completely sober, and th- and then you'd be obviously helping these people through something, but you'd have no recollection of of doing that. Yeah, in the, in, the, in the beginning, and then I slowly started to become more and more conscious of it to, to where I was completely conscious with these, I guess, these ideas or these thoughts and memories and feelings coming through me and me being able to articulate them to people. And then, so you, so you were essentially, you have no recollection, but people would be crying how, how would you come to what was what do you think caused you to snap out of what whatever you were doing to then kind Man, of I've no idea. you know like one minute i'm just sitting there hanging out with friends the next minute i'm kind of like it's almost like i i woke up and these people are like you know basically telling me this stuff that had just happened and i had no no kind of recollection again then i started to over time become more conscious of it to where, you know, looking back now, it was only seen as, I guess, me me channeling through some sort of a message. Now, when that was happening, especially at the beginning, did it, scare, did it scare the crap out of you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And how long would you be out for? Uh, I wouldn't know, like, you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes. That had to be absolutely wild. I yeah, mean, I was pretty trying close. to. I'm trying to put myself in your shoes and be in a group of people. And all of a sudden I have no recollection recollection of the last 15 minutes, but my buddy or some person that I've met is sitting there crying, thanking me for what I've just done for them. Yeah. It was pretty full on. It was pretty full on. And then you're walking down the street and you're able to, you start seeing people's childhood. Yeah. It was weird. I would like just be drawn to, to look towards a particular person and I'd feel all this emotion and almost see like what looked like files above their head of all these different experiences. You are human, correct? 
<laughs> yeah, to be honest, I haven't I haven't shared this with many, many people before, especially not online, because I guess in the past has been fears of judgment or fears of um Sure. I don't know, fears of what people would think of me, but Well, people are saying, guess, No way, the guy's crazy, right? I mean that's yeah. right. Like yeah, what, how many drugs crazy. was this guy on? <laughs> yeah, definitely not crazy. You know, yeah. so so yeah, I understand that. But if this is truly what was happening for you, yeah, it was pretty wild. And then, how did you hone in on that? I mean, this is again, I want to stick on this because this is really unique. How did you hone in? How did you accentuate uh, uh, this yeah. this gift that was given to you? There's a lot that happened all around the same time, you know, like I was I was led to get these oracle cards, which used to speak about, you know, divine energy and used to speak about, you know, your heart connecting to your heart. And so I was, you know, kind of drawing on these cards in many ways as I was drawing these cards, they were affirming things that were happening inside of me. I remember reading a really powerful book, I think it's by Ernest Holmes, uh, The Science of the Mind. And it was kind of about manifestation. And that was wild, man. Like I would kind of follow the steps in the book and the craziest things that happened. I remember I met this guy, uh, Gary, at a meditation and uh, he ended up coming to live with me. He was quite sick. And about three weeks after living with me, he gifted me a brand new car. This guy turned out to be a, a multimillionaire, was on this bit of a quest of finding himself and kind of giving away his belongings. And uh, he just gifted me this brand new car and then gifted me this money which I decked my house out with and all these crazy things were happening all at a very short period of time and I guess that started to become more fuel for me to continue to investigate spirituality for me to investigate energy and uh, you know went and saw tarot readers and went and saw spiritual healers and went down all these different paths and that experience of me channeling uh, I guess information was one of many that happened all around the same time that to be honest looking back now my feeling of why that happened was to really open me up because I needed a lot of help um, and I guess in many ways who I've become as a result of that experience and who I've been able to to help or to guide and the tool that the, the tools that that experience gave me to further use in uh, healing modalities and practices since have been incredible. Like I remember back then that if you talked about spirituality, people thought you were a dope smoking hippie. You know, the world just wasn't very open to it as a whole. Right. Uh, and if you look now, like how many businesses, how many schools, how many workplaces are you know, talking about wellness or talking about mindful practices or offering meditation or breath work or yoga as part of their service to helping their their students or their their clients or their their workmates. You know, like it's quite mainstream now, but we're talking back 15 years ago like it wasn't. So when did the when did this extra special talent? I, I don't even know what to call this. When did this medium? this this sixth sense whatever you want to call it when did it start to fade and when did it go away uh i wouldn't say it started to fade per se it changed so what evolved out of that over a period of time and i'm not specific on the timing it was you know 15 16 years ago it evolved the more that i started 
doing these practices around developing and tapping into my my spiritual heart um, and that space of intuition or gut instinct, the more that it be started to integrate with, uh, I guess, being able to be with someone and feeling things and asking questions around what I was feeling, realizing that, you know, around certain people, the interaction I was having is what I was feeling was, wasn't my own feelings, it was their feelings. And that, that was probably the hardest part of all of this in the beginning was creating the distinction between what was my own feelings and what was my own emotions and what was somebody else's. That was the thing that mm. took me some time to really learn. Because but, you're almost, let me just interrupt you, Barry, you're, you're an ultimate empath where yeah. it's the other person's feelings are so, so crystal clear and coming through to you so strongly, it starts clouding the way that you feel. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was in many ways like I was switching into their experience or you kind of imagine too, like it was like imagine two mirrors facing one another, you know, which is the real image. And that was the, the challenge that I had in earlier relationships as well, like because it was intensified getting into an intimate relationship to where you're almost both reflecting, reflect, reflecting each other's emotions and really having a hard time at it shifting through and again that's why it felt like a curse but you know what happened was over a period of time the more and more that i you know meditated the more and more that i connected with my own heart and developed that intuition the more i was able to show up in an environment and, and i guess coach somebody through what they were dealing with because i could sit there in their experience in their emotion and coach them from that place being disassociated not being caught up in it. How did you start getting these people, these, we'll call them clients. What are you in your mid twenties at this point? No, this was so, come on now, this was 20. Yeah. So around 20, 25, 26, uh, my, my business went bankrupt. I went through this whole experience back then. Um, and I was questioning life a lot. I was like, how could I be spiritual? How could I be, you know, meditating. And I, but, but at that stage, I was guiding meditation classes and offering like Reiki healings and things like that. I was like, how could I be doing this good in the world and have attracted this bankruptcy for $1.3 million, lost everything I worked for, you know, what I felt like was shamed my family, you know, all this sort of stuff when I was doing good. And I guess that was when things really opened up because I was guided to uh, go through a, a coaching practitioner training, learn psychotherapies, deeply study NLP and things like that. And that was when this truly come alive because I had these tools that were actually acknowledged in the real world to be able to, to impact change being different NLP and psychotherapy processes. But what I took in that experience is my ability to read, read my clients. So I could sit there and read them far beyond eye patterns or far beyond uh, any of the the processes that I was taught NLP because I had this gift of deep empathy. So how did you come up, how did people start finding you? How did you start gaining these clients? Um, it was a bit of both, I guess. Like in the beginning, it was me just being in, in an environment where I would feel something come up in somebody and be like, hey, I've got some tools that can help you work through that if you're open to it. I would just attract people that, and this was kind of most of my life native, I'd attract people that would just feel comfortable telling me things I'd never told anyone before. It was really weird, you know, like I'd have people come up and they'd be like, I don't even know why I'm telling you this stuff. I've never shared this with anyone before. I guess they just felt 
comfortable in my presence. And so that happened a lot. And I would just be like, look, I've got some tools that might be able to help you work through that if you're open to it. And that 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 would be how it would start. And then they would have profound experiences and re- recommend other people to work with me. And it didn't take long before I was running a, a multi-million dollar coaching company and was doing very little advertising to attract clients. So, and what was the name of that company? Uh, the very first iteration was Divinity Coaching. Which then turned to what? The Game Changers. Right. And the Game Changers was 2012? Uh, 2014. 2014. Okay. So you're then, you start coaching people. Are these people from all walks of life or was it more C-level executives? What, what was it? In the beginning, it was was all walks of life. And it was kind of like six to, to nine months in. I realized at that stage that a lot of my clients were business owners and they were having amazing breakthroughs in their business as a result of the work we're doing personally, which brought up a lot of a lot of challenge for me because you know I'd failed in business. You know, I'd had this bankruptcy looming over my head and was still obviously in the in the early stages of that and processing that. I guess I had a bit of identity crisis myself. I was like, how could I be coaching business owners to get great results when I'd completely failed in business myself? So what were you, so you were dealing with the inner critic then again at that point? Absolutely. Yeah. And you're coaching these people, but you're dealing with your own personal financial struggle and having to go through a bankruptcy and all the stresses that come with that. So what are you doing to, how, how do you, again, how do you get out of that? How do you overcome that period? Um, once, once I went through the bankruptcy, which was 2012, um, you know, I'd been doing the spiritual practices before then. There was this part of me that was like, man, I want to work out how I'd screwed life up so bad. I want to work out how on the one hand, I can really feel like I was living a life of, of intuition and, and purpose, but on the other hand, had created so much conflict and challenge in, in this environment. And that was what led me to start to learn about psychology and start to learn about the mind. And I, and I remember having this moment where I was like, ah, like I've worked it out. You know, like in life, you have to have uh, spirit and, and, and mind. And I was like, ah, oh, these are the two sides of the coin. This is why I've been led this way because I need to understand how to also work with the psychology. Uh, I later on in life found out that there's actually three components, which is mind, body, and and spirit. I talk a lot about that um, in my most recent book, and and I guess how I went through um, that journey. So you're going through that. You're growing this coaching business at the same time, and you said that it's just turning into a multi-million dollar coaching business. Are you bringing on other coaches as well? Initially, no. Initially, I, I wasn't. And just to, I don't think I answered your previous question. But basically, the moment I started that coaching course, I started investing every every spare dollar that I was making into development, into buying books, into hiring coaches, into attending workshops. Like there was there was a fire that was burning burning inside of me that just had me somewhat even aggressively um, going down this personal development path, and. I guess I was doing that to balance out the experience of, of me helping people because there was an inner critic going, well, shit, you, you haven't even been able to help yourself in the past. And now you're helping other people, even though I knew that 
I had the tools and I was learning things through the, the course, there was that part of it that wanted to make sure that I never had to experience what I did again. Yeah, it's really it's really fascinating how uh, how everybody, no matter really where what your background is, how glorious, how glamorous your life is, everybody could use a mentor, everybody could use a coach, but so very few people go down that path, Barry. The, you know, professional athletes, college athletes, high school athletes, people that are in competitions and, and competing in physical activities, they're always using coaches. Yeah. And then here we are as people, as as workers, as businessmen, entrepreneurs, doctors, lawyers, whatever, engineers, and husbands, wives, parents, brothers, sisters, friends. The mental and emotional side to life is so much greater than the physical side. And yet we only think it's really important to use coaches in a physical setting, not in the emotional everyday life setting. Why, why is that? Yeah, it's, it's a really, really good question. And I do, I do actually think it's shifting though. You know, like I, I think the States are definitely ahead of, of other parts in the world in that, you know, and you've got people like Tony Robbins to thank for really, I guess, pioneering that space. I, I do see that in the next five to 10 years, coaching will be pretty mainstream right, not just for the athletes and so forth. But I guess you've got to look look at where we've come from, Nate. And I guess back in the day, you know, we very much had this mentality of like doing things ourselves. you know, and this is why a lot of business owners struggle too, because they've got this mentality that they need to wear 10 different hats inside of their business rather than outsourcing things that aren't their strength. And I think it just comes from that attitude of, of doing things ourselves. Maybe there's also a lot of shame wrapped up or guilt that people perceive they should be better than what they are but the reality is is that we are who we are based on our upbringing and teachers and mentors and the education we've done you know we go through school and we're, we're essentially coached or mentored by our teachers who we don't necessarily pick but we have this opportunity that when we leave school or even during that period of time that we can go out and find somebody who has a particular skill set or a particular knowledge that we want to attain pay them in in exchange for their time and for their mentorship and significantly upskill that that, that area of our life mm. yeah i i totally agree with you and i think it's extremely important as we continue to evolve um so the game changers then ultimately you did grow and you did bring people in how, how do you feel comfortable though when you're so in tune and you're so empathetic and you have this really rare gift, how do you feel comfortable enough bringing in outsiders to start joining you on the coaching side? Because I'm going to say it for you. I am sure that the, the bar was set so high that at the beginning, especially you were like, I don't know. I don't know if any of these people are, are qualified like I am to do this with me here. Yeah, man, you're, you're, you're spot on. Um, I, I build a coaching practice with one-on-one -on -one clients, very, very low level of staff. And I ended up just to continuing continuing to put my prices up. I had a coach that I was working with and he's like, you need to charge more. He's like, people that pay, pay attention. People that pay a lot, pay a lot of attention. I remember that the more that I started to charge, the better results my clients were getting because they were showing up better. And I ended up getting to a point where I almost burnt out like sitting in that space and sitting in other people's stuff for for a period of time uh has a toll if you don't have the time to integrate and the time to rest 
And so I got to a point where I needed to bring on other people if I was going to grow or change my model to be more of a, a one-to-many group coaching environment. But back then I had a strong belief that the only way to get results with clients was working with them one-on-one. And I was like, if I need to scale, I need to bring on other coaches. And yeah, you're right. I had I had concerns that nobody was going to be able to do what I was doing. Um, but I ended up taking that leap because I, I wanted to help a lot more people. And it ended up resulting in me being able to start to train my coaches on empathy and being out of tuning with their clients. And we ended up creating a whole coaching methodology that combined uh, this aspect of intuition and, and empathy that, that we spoke about with NLP. So as well as using all the cues from the body and coaching from that place, which I teach you in NLP, being able to teach my coaches to, to deeply connect in with their intuition, deeply connecting with their hearts and to trust that feeling that was coming through them when sitting in a space with clients. And it was something that we called holographic change. Yeah. And then throughout that whole process and years of then growing and becoming more comfortable and loosening the reins and teaching the empathy and bringing on the, there came a point just several years ago where you kind of, I don't know if you outgrew the business, but you realized the business was standing on its own foundation and didn't need Barry there anymore. Yeah. So this was back in 2019. Um, there was a couple of things that happened. The, the first one was that I realized that I was being incongruent because by that point in time, we'd grown an organization that was then specifically focusing on helping business owners to build profitable businesses that could work without them. And it kind of, as it evolved, and there's a lot of, I guess, internal walls that I had to face and break through, it made sense. It made sense why I went through what I went through with my bankruptcy and how I was now running a company, helping people to to not have to go through that experience, right? And I had this realization that I wasn't being congruent. I was like, we're offering to these clients to build businesses that can work without them because ultimately, if you're an entrepreneur, until you've built a business that works without you, you have a job right? No matter which way you want to cut and dice it, you've got a job. But I was like, I'm being incongruent because whilst I'm helping and and our company's helping clients to create this result, I'm still working in my business. So I knew there was time for me to take myself through that process myself, even though I loved doing what I was doing. And so I took myself through the process, exited, and that was part of the reason why I moved to Bali is that I was like, I need to create change and fill my life with things outside of business Otherwise, I'm going to sabotage this this exiting of my company and be caused to be brought back in. And so I moved to Bali. I started learning to surf. I started learning to play guitar. I just filled my life with other things that wasn't work. And what opened up out of that over the last two years has been extraordinary. You know, like I went from running this coaching business for 40 hours a week to now owning seven different companies, you know, being on the boards, being actively involved and you know, my working life looks very, very different now. I have very good balance with the amount of time that I spend with my kids, the amount of time I spend with my partner, the amount of time I spend with myself. But it has all resulted from making that move to, I, I guess, align myself congruently with the offering that we that we offered our clients at the company and exiting. Mm. You did mention quite a few times, just for, just to be clear for people, uh, NLP. Yeah. which is explain that more neuro-linguistic programming but what how would you define that 
Look, neuro-linguistic programming or the language of uh, physiology and psychology, it's something that we're all doing regardless of whether we know we're doing it or not. But NLP has uh, the ability to use specific framing of words or specific uh, processes to help to neutralize or resolve past, you know, traumatic experiences or past limiting beliefs. You know, so growing up from being in your mother's womb to around age seven, you're being imprinted with uh, different experiences that are causing you to create beliefs around those experiences. Those beliefs might be that, you know, money is a root of all evil or, you know, like women will hurt you, you know, some ex extreme ones. You know, people have also experiencing situations of, you know, sexual abuse or uh, different anxieties or phobias and things like that. And using different NLP frameworks and tools, you have the ability to revisit those experiences and to create a shift around the way that you relate to them, which in terms, once you create the shift around the way you relate to these past experiences, therefore your present and future experiences have to change, mm. will change. That's beautiful. You break the loop. You break the cycle. Yeah. yeah. So you moved to Bali in 2019. You're there now. It's 2022. You're enjoying life. You mentioned that you're involved in multiple businesses. Um, through this entire process and, and through this entire practice, so real quick, you're still doing coaching as well, correct? Yeah. Typically these days, though, I'm only coaching uh people that are offering equity in their companies. So I'll get approached by businesses. They've, you know, read my books. They've followed me for a while. And they're like, hey, I'd love a hand to, to grow my company to create X result. And if after we go through a process as a values fit, I'll typically jump on board, take a take a share in their business and then offer the mentorship and coaching that they're on. Now, are you all, that's fascinating. I've never heard that before. I've never heard that model. That's very interesting. Now, are you, offering that to strictly the owner or the owners or are you offering them that to everybody at their companies it depends on the type of business and what the business requires typically i would not go and coach their employees per se but i would be coaching the business owner in such a way that they're able to have those conversations with their employees or i would connect them to provide them with additional support if there's another resource that they need as well so here you are back to where I was going. You, you've, you've gone through all the ups and downs, a ton of spiritual introspection. You, you became some kind of psychic or something for a while that we're still not sure about. Uh, we don't know what to call it, but we know it was happening. And uh, through all of that, you mentioned earlier in our conversation, the purpose of life and how you had this, what, what you thought it was with getting married and this and the white picket fence, yada, yada, yada. Now, here today, let me ask you, Barry, what do you believe now the purpose of life is? Interesting question. So this is something that I deliberated on for a long time, and I believed that you had to find it or work it out. And I still see a lot of people like, oh, I'm just looking for a purpose in life. My perspective and my take on it now is very different, Nate. I believe that, yeah, some people might be destined to develop the next electric car or the next iPhone or something like that. But I believe that the purpose of life doesn't necessarily have to be any grand vision. It can be as simple as having a profound conversation with a complete stranger. 
It could be helping uh, uh, an elderly person cross the road. I believe that the purpose in life is not one big thing that you look for to find and then you've made it, then you've got it for the rest of your life. I believe that you should be bringing purpose into everything you do from the interactions with your kids and your partner, the interactions with your employees and staff. Yes, that's something that we should do in terms of an action and behavior. But I'm just, to take that a step further though, like what, what do you believe is, uh, what is the purpose of humanity? Let me ask it in that, in that regard. I think to, to return to source. I think the purpose of humanity, a purpose, the deeper purpose of a life is to return to source, you know, allowing us to shed all of our uh, perceived limitations to, to come back to our intuition, to come back to our heart, to, to live a life of love. Yeah. To live a life where we're able to interact in in harmony. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Every, every people that I've asked that are very spiritual and have a deep sense, they always mention the word love, and you just did the exact same thing. Mm. Before we finish it off here, uh, Barry, you've uh, you've got the the website. You've got the um, you've mentioned your book. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your your most recent book. Yeah, so my most recent book, Sex, Drugs, and Radical Self-Expression, um, it's a book where I basically share, I guess, how I've got to, to where I am. You know, I share initially, it's kind of divided into three sections, heart, head, and, and hand, which I briefly mentioned before around, I guess, the heart. How do we develop that deeper relationship with our intuition, with that inner voice, and I share in there some of the experiences that I had along the way and how that allowed me to shift through to really gain access to that part of my consciousness. We then go into head, which is around the psychology and, and how to start to shift limiting beliefs. And again, some of the experience that I had in that, that approach through to hand, which is then the embodiment. Like we've got these concepts and ideas around, you know, our heart's consciousness and upskilling our brain but how do we bring that into real world practicality to actually improve our life and i guess you know the core the core message or what i really hope that the readers will get out of the book is permission permission to to live their best life permission that regardless of how bad they've screwed things up in the past or what experience they've had or been through it's not too late for them to turn the chapter and to create a life that they love and a life that's worth living and so, you know, when I started the book, I thought it was going to be something like the spiritual CEO and I was going to teach people how to, you know, run companies based on intuition and the book evolved into something very, very different. But, you know, I really, again, just want to give people permission that um, regardless of where they're at right now, regardless of the relationships in or their relationship with, with money or with their health, or whatever the case may be, through you know very small consistent steps they have the ability in three months six months 12 months to be in a completely different place than where they are right now mm, beautiful a great title sex drugs and radical self-expression we'll, we'll link it in the show notes uh awesome. where else where else are you online if people want to reach out and connect with you yeah, look, the best place place for is my personal website, which is Barry Maglidity, M-A-G-L-I-A-R-D-I-T-I.com. It's got links on there to all my socials, to podcasts, to basically everything that I'm up to. 
Well, uh, like I said, thank you so much, man. Uh, this is a, a real eye-opening and, and insightful conversation. We will link you in the show notes. Anyone wants to check out Barry's work or find out more about him, click the links in the show notes and uh, really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thanks, Femi. I appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of the Optimal Life Podcast. If you haven't yet, please subscribe and follow the podcast wherever you're listening. And you could also leave a review. Apple Podcasts, of course, you could leave reviews and ratings. Spotify, you could leave reviews and ratings. And several and many other podcast apps. Wherever you may be listening, please tell a friend, tell a family member, let them know about the podcast, and we will see you next time.